Yeah, I think that pretty much sums up the sermon. So if you guys just want to stay up here and close us out, it'll be good. No? Let me still go, go ahead with it? Okay. All right. Well, I guess there's no more football on, so you guys don't really have a reason to get home early anyway. So we will just uh, go ahead with the original plan. Good morning. I'm trying to get my timer set up because for some reason I can't figure out how long I should go by looking at a clock. I have to have a timer. Remind me. Uh, well, my name is Troy Hawks. Uh, I'm one of the pastors on staff here at North Bible Church. I help out in the outreach and missions uh, department. I have the pleasure of sharing God's word with you this morning. And we are in week seven, week seven of a series called Rooted. Uh, and the purpose of Rooted is to deepen, uh, to help you deepen your connection, to help me deepen my connection uh, with God and with his church and also with your purpose in the great story that God is writing. Uh, so throughout human history, God has been writing a story, uh, and you have a part in that story. And, and that's kind of part of the focus of our message today, the section, the part of Rooted that we are in. Uh, we've been asking questions and answering questions like, who is God? Uh, how does God speak to us today? Where is God in the midst of of suffering. And, and then last week, uh, we started answering the question, how can I make the most of my life? Uh, so last week, uh, Pastor Jeff shared with us, and, and he talked about making the most of our life in our everyday relationships and circumstances, how we can bless those around us uh, simply by uh, being who God has called us to be in the marketplace, in our homes, in the schools where our children go. Um, and today we're going to um, expand that view a little bit farther and continue to ask the question, how can I make the most of my life? Well, uh, speaking of questions, um, one of my least favorite questions, and, and I hate to do this because now several of you that I know well are going to ask me this question repeatedly, um, but one of my least favorite questions uh, is when someone says, what do you do for a living? Now, maybe it's just me and the skeptic in me, uh, but when someone asks you that question, they may be asking one of three questions, okay? It's either, how important are you, right? What do you do for a living? Tell me, how important are you? How important is this person I'm talking to right now, right? That, that's one question they could be asking. Uh, the other question they could be asking is, how much money do you make, right? Bo both questions could be inside the what do you do for a living question. Uh, but hopefully, on the glass half full side, what they are really saying is, who are you, right? Tell me a little bit about yourself, because hopefully what you do will give me a little bit of insight into who you are. So we're going to go with the optimist side today, um, and, and I'm going to ask you the question, who are you? If someone came up to you and, and instead of saying, what do you do for a living? They said, who are you? Tell me about yourself. What would be the first things that came to your mind? A lot of times it's traits or characteristics um, that we know about ourselves. Other times we may start with a role uh, that we play in life. Well, I'm a dad, 
No, I have X number of kids. It's X because I quit counting after four, you know. Or I'm a mom, right? Or I'm an attorney. Or I'm a, I'm a son, right? I'm a student. Often it has to do with roles that we play. Somebody's asking me the question right now. <laughs> Didn't take long, did it? You guys. So who are you? How, how would you answer that question? But then we're going to ask it another way. What would others say about you? What's a trait or characteristic that you are known for? Lou Clark took us through our series on David on Wednesday night. Uh, and back in 1 Samuel, the king Saul was going a little crazy, and someone suggested that he needed uh, someone to come and play the harp for him to help soothe his anxiety. And someone recommended David, and one of the things that they said about David was that the Lord was with him, right? That he was a warrior. All these different traits that David was known for. What would people say about you? What are you known for? What are you known for at home? What are you known for at work? What, what are you known for at school? What are you known for online? The people that you interact with online. In other words, who are you? Well, today we're going to take a look at a passage in uh, Luke chapter 10. And uh, we're going to see an encounter. We're going to take a look at an encounter between Jesus and a religious expert. And we're going to see a couple of things. First, uh, the religious expert has a question for Jesus. So we're going to see uh, what the question is and how Jesus handles it. And then the other thing we're going to discover is that Jesus is going to set forth one trait or characteristic that every follower of Jesus should be known for. One, one trait or characteristic that, that people that know you should say about you. Something that comes to mind when they think of you as a follower of Jesus. So we're going to open up to Luke chapter 10. We're going to begin in verse 25. Would you pray with me before we dive into God's word here this morning? Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege of studying your word, that you don't leave us to guess about what kind of a God you are, to wonder whether the creator that created the heavens and the earth, everything that we see around us is a God who cares about us or not, Lord, that we know that you are a, a loving God, you are passionate about people. And so, we're, Lord, we come uh, with open hearts, with grateful hearts this morning, knowing that you love us. We say we trust you. So we want to hear from you this morning. So we invite your Holy Spirit to speak through to us through your word. We ask all these things in Christ's precious name. Amen. Well, in Luke chapter 10, uh, verse 25 begins like this. It says, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test. Now, uh, just so you know, a lawyer is someone who is an expert in the Mosaic law. 
okay? So this, this guy's field of expertise is the Old Testament, the Mosaic Law. Um, and so this is the guy, this is the expert uh, who comes to Jesus and he says, Teacher, uh, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? In other words, Jesus takes him right back to his area of expertise uh, and poses the question right back to him. And this is how he responds. The lawyer says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, in other words, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Desiring to justify himself. Uh, Luke kind of gives us a picture into the situation here. Um, Justifying himself would mean to prove that he's right, okay? To prove that he's kind of already got it all together is the reason that this man asks the second question, the, the narrow it down for me, Jesus, question of who is my neighbor? Uh, and instead of responding with simply an answer or another question, uh, Jesus begins to tell this parable, a parable that we've come to know as the parable of the Good Samaritan. So Jesus replied in verse 30, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, uh, another member of the priestly class, not a priest, but kind of a priest's assistant in the temple, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he too passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Now here comes the question. Jesus says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do Likewise. So this story, this uh, account that Luke gives us, um, starts off with Jesus and the religious expert, the, the expert in the Mosaic law, agreeing on one thing. Right? That, that the way to eternal life is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And to love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, but where they diverge comes with the second question 
the who is my neighbor question. And you see, the, the who is my neighbor question is designed to narrow it down. It's, it's the, the lawyer saying to Jesus, okay, I got it. I got the love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Got that. I'm, I'm all over that. And, and I'm pretty sure I'm all over this love your neighbor thing, but I just want to make sure we're on the same page, right? And, and that I'm right, right? So just tell me I'm right, right? Okay. Um, who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? Can you just narrow that down for me, right? Kind of tweak it down, funnel it down, right? Tell me who is, who's in, who's out. Okay? And Jesus does so. He, he obliges the man. He, he defines who his neighbor is with this, with, by responding with this parable of the good Samaritan. And, and the parable starts off this way. Okay, it starts off with an unidentified man. Okay, don't, don't miss the significance of the fact that the man who fell among the robbers is unidentified. That we know virtually nothing about him except that he was a man and he was walking on the road from Jericho, from Jerusalem to Jericho. Okay, so it starts off with this man who's uh, attacked and robbed and stripped and left half dead in the middle of the road. And, and that sets up Jesus' story. It, it sets him up for where he wants to go. Because if you were robbed and left half dead laying in the middle of the road, and, and you had one wish for someone that could come by, uh, who might happen upon you in your most unfortunate of circumstances, who would you want it to be? Well, if it was me, I would want it to be someone who is committed to loving the Lord their God with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their mind, with all their strength, and, and loving their neighbor as themselves. And lo and behold, Jesus says, by chance, a priest came by. And there we have it. The perfect prospect for the hero in the story arrives on the scene. And I'm sure this lawyer was excited to hear what the priest was going to do. But much to his dismay, the priest is not lifted up or honored. The priest is described as someone who simply looks at the man and, and crosses over to the other side of the road and, and keeps going. In some essence, it's strike one. But the story's not over yet because Jesus isn't finished yet and, and there's a, a Levite coming down the road next. And surely, if the priest didn't help, what, what better luck, what better fortune that could you have than another love person to come down the road? Another one of these, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and love your neighbor. What more could you ask for than another love person to come walking down your road? But lo and behold, the the Levite responds the same way. He crosses on the other side of the road, and so it's strike two for the lawyer and official Judaism at this point. But then the most epic part of Jesus' parable comes when the next person to arrive on the scene is a Samaritan. Uh, and the Samaritan is not a love person. 
for this expert in the Mosaic Law. He's a hate person. Uh, he's probably the most hated person that that lawyer could think of would be a Samaritan, someone who he despised. And when the Samaritan is the one who's described as having compassion on the man, who gives out of what he has, of his time and his resources, his oil, his wine, probably tears his own clothing to bandage the man, puts the man on his own donkey and, and carries him off to the next town. Not only that, but leaves enough money with the innkeeper. Well, first, he spent the night with the man caring for him, ministering to his wounds. And if that weren't enough, the next morning, uh, he leaves the man there on the men and gives the innkeeper enough money for room and board for this victim for 24 days to be taken care of and makes a pledge that he'll be back. And if you spend anything more on this unidentified man that I've never met before, I'll pay you back when I return. Well, if the priest was strike one and the Levite was strike two, then certainly the Samaritan is not only strike three, but a fastball up and inside on the chin for this attorney. I'm sure he's not a very happy person at this point in the story. What, what is Jesus doing? What is Jesus doing in telling this parable and telling it the way that it is? Uh, Jesus is offering his critique of religion. Uh, specifically, he's offering his critique of Judaism at the time. But lest we stop and think that we are immune and this is only about Judaism, it's really a broader critique of religion. Uh, specifically, it's a, it's a critique of religion without love. It's a critique of religion without love. 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 13, verses 1 through 3. Paul writes, if I speak in the tongues, that'll be faster, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to move mountains, but I have not love, I'm nothing. And if I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. And it's exactly what Jesus is saying here, uh, that religious religion without love is one of two things. It's either noise or nothing. Religion without love is either noise or nothing, but it's not what Jesus has in mind for his followers. Well, it's also a critique of religion without compassion. I don't know if you remember, you should get extra points if you do. Um, the last time I had an opportunity to speak on compassion, uh, 
we defined it as the axis on which God's love turns. Oh, I see the hand motion back there. Does anybody else remember the hand motion? There? Oh, I see, I see a couple more, yeah, yeah. That compassion is the axis on which God's love turns, right? That we saw that compassion was what turned Jesus to the people that were on the shore. So, so compassion turns God to us, and then compassion in us turns us to others, and our acts of compassion then turn others to God. So, so compassion turns God to us, it turns us to others, and then it turns others to God. You know, when I think about compassion, I think about North Bible Church, I think about our mission to love God, love one another, and love the world. I think about the trips that we do. Uh, In this past year, we've sent teams to uh, India. We've sent teams to Tanzania, or at least individuals to Tanzania. And we've sent, uh, we'll be sending two teams to Guatemala this year. And, And why do we send people to places like India to help with a sports camp? Why do we send people to Guatemala to drill a well? Well, I'll tell you the, the reason we don't do it, or the reason that isn't the reason, we, we don't do it because it's the most economical way. Okay, The most economical way would be to send money and have someone else drill the well, or, or send money and have someone else uh, run the sports camp. Uh, but compassion is not just sending money. Compassion uh, goes. Compassion does, as Bob Goff would say, love does. Compassion does. And, and so we don't send people to Guatemala and India and Tanzania because it's the most economical way to get something done. We do it because it's the most impactful way to do something. Because it's when you go that you have the opportunity to demonstrate that you have the opportunity to be love, to be compassion, to be mercy, to have an opportunity to love a neighbor in a way that you wouldn't have if you were at home. And there they are. You see what happens when we go. It's that connection results in transformation. I like uh, Living Water International sends out a devotional to our teams uh, each trip before we leave. Uh, and one of their quotes that they have in the front of that, they have a whole page on why, why go? Why, why go to Guatemala and drill a well? And I love what they say. They say, it isn't just about giving to the thirsty. It's about loving them. And it's harder to love someone you've never met. When I see the pictures that were on the screen just a moment ago, that's what I see. I see people connecting. I see people loving new neighbors that they never knew they had or connecting in a new way that they've never connected with those people or those people groups before. And they're forever changed as a result of it. And that's because love and compassion 
have the power to transform. Do we see transformation in this passage? We do. You may not have caught it, but it's in verse 36. When Jesus asks his question towards the end of the parable, he says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? The phrase there that's translated proved to be a neighbor is actually literally which of these three became a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Yes, he proved to be a neighbor, but, but something else happened. Before he was walking down that road and encountered that man, they were not neighbors. They had no relationship whatsoever. He knew as little about the man as we do. But, but in that moment of compassion, in his act of demonstrating the heart and love of God, he became a neighbor to that man lying on the road. Yesterday, look, and the man who was lying on the road, he gained a neighbor as well. That, that love and compassion transformed those two men, giving them something that they didn't have before. Uh, and that was a neighbor. Yesterday, a whole bunch of folks, well, no. Uh, well, yeah, okay. Uh, a whole bunch of folks from North Bible Church gained new neighbors. And some neighbors that we didn't know we had gained a whole bunch of folks as neighbors as well. As people from North went out and served on our North Cares projects and, and did painting and yard work. And not only were those relationships transformed, but houses were transformed some people actually have a backyard they could walk out in again. Other people have a, re a house that they can drive up to or walk up to with a sense of pride in ownership of that home and knowing that their neighbors aren't angry with them anymore, knowing that the city isn't going to cite them, give them citations anymore. They've been transformed. And how are they transformed? By the love of a neighbor, because someone became a neighbor to them, and they gained a neighbor. They gained a whole bunch of neighbors. So when Jesus poses this question of which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor, he, he's in essence saying, okay, you asked me a question, who is my neighbor? But there's a problem. You asked the wrong question. The question isn't who your neighbor is. The question is, who are you? Right? It's not who your neighbor is. That's not the important thing. If that was the important thing, we'd know a whole lot more about this unidentified man, but we know nothing. We don't know his age, his race, his nationality, his religion, his economic status. We know nothing because he's not important. That's not the important aspect to the story. It's not who that man is. It's who the Samaritan was. And the Samaritan didn't respond the way he did because of a set of rules. 
He responded out of who he was. That that was who he was. Because of his view of who God was, he knew that this was an opportunity. Not an obligation, but an opportunity for him to fulfill the command of God. To not only love God, but to love his neighbor. It was just who he was. So who are you? Whose are you? It's a great question, and it leads to another. What are the driving passions in your life? What are the things that you care deeply about? What, what kinds of things do you like? What are your talents and gifts and opportunities and resources? And where do those intersect with opportunities to demonstrate the love of God to people? Where do your opportunities and your history and your resources and who you are, who Jesus has created you to be, where do those intersect with opportunities to, to be a neighbor, to, to love your neighbor as yourself, to mentor someone, to, to pour into somebody's life, to be there in a moment or a season of need for an individual or a family? And it's as we answer this question, this is how we find what our role is in God's big story that he's writing. Because, as Jeff pointed out last week, each of you is God's workmanship, Ephesians 2.10, created in Christ Jesus for good works, that you should walk in them, right? That you are his workmanship. He created you with an original design, with gifts and talents and abilities and, and interests, and a unique history, a unique present, and a unique future. Well, we've seen uh, folks at North answer this question, finding where their interests intersect with opportunities. Uh, one of those is a new program that started in the last year or so called Kids Outdoor Zone. Hopefully we have a picture. There's some men um, from North that were there last weekend with some guys that said, hey, I love the outdoors. Where does loving the outdoors and wanting to be outdoors and, and wanting to help kids be outdoors instead of like this all the time? Yeah. Where do those things intersect? Where does being outdoors and mentoring young boys to be men, where do those intersect? Well, th well, they intersect in a ministry that's called Kids Outdoor Zone. And so now once a month, men and boys are getting together and they're going and spending time outside doing things that they've probably never done before, many of them, or things that they're doing for the first time, fishing and shooting bows and arrows and all kinds of stuff, and, and doing it with men who love Jesus, okay? Fishing and hunting intersect with Jesus, okay? 
in a way that many people probably never thought they would, but that is a unique interest intersecting with opportunity. Uh, some folks here from North Bible Church uh, have found out about a ministry called Project Mexico where nurses and doctors and dentists and other people who just want to help but aren't healthcare professionals go down quarterly across the border and serve uh, in a town called Sonoida. And they're able to take their God-given gifts and training to minister and help people who are sick or hurting. It's where their training and their interests and their passions intersect with God's plan in this world to help people who are in need. As I mentioned, uh, a bunch of people, I think we have some pictures from North Cares yesterday, but a bunch of folks from our church and, and I think a few that don't even go here but know about the program went out into the neighborhood. Hey, maybe you don't have any special skills or training that you can think of off the top of your head. But, you know, we have 10-year-olds out there raking and shoveling and, and believe it doesn't... Okay, it's good to be willing to work when you go because <laughs> it can be hard work, but it doesn't feel like work. It, it feels like loving your neighbor. And for some reason... Cleaning their yard is a whole lot more fun than cleaning mine. But I don't know, maybe if I get you guys to show up at my house, it would be more fun. I don't know. But that's where a willingness to serve and a desire to love your neighbor intersect with opportunities to show God's love and demonstrate compassion to people. Maybe you hate dirt and dust. I know someone like that but she also loves to cook. You know, we have a program called Food Tidings where, where families or individuals who are in need, maybe after the birth of a baby or after a surgery or during an illness, an episode of illness, cancer treatment, something like that, where they're in need of meals. And you can sign up. You know, there's nothing more neighborly than showing up at someone's house with food. Okay, I don't think it gets more neighborly than that. Okay, when we had meals coming to our house, we met people for the first time. Uh, instant neighbor status when you show up with food. Uh, when my mom was sick with cancer, people from the church were bringing food uh, to our family. And, and that was amazing and, and amazing in a time of need. But the, the giving kept on giving, the gift kept on giving because some of those recipes that people brought became our favorite recipes that we ate for years afterwards. And every time we did, we would think of the people that brought that meal to our house uh, during our time of need. You know, everybody has an opportunity. It's just about finding a way to show your love and your compassion for people in need. Seven-year-old young lady from our church uh, by the name of Victoria Stewart. Maybe I should have gotten permission to share this story. Can I have permission? Um, decided that she didn't want Christmas, or she didn't want presents for her birthday. She had heard about the kids in Tanzania uh, that are at the children's home. Some might call it an orphanage. We prefer children's home because they have a family there. It is a family. And after she heard about those kids in the children's home, 
She didn't want any presents for herself. She just wanted people to bring things for the orphans in Tanzania. A seven-year-old can have a heart of compassion and find a way to love neighbors that she didn't know she had. So the question is not who your neighbor is. The question is, who are you? And whose are you? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace and mercy. Many of us were like that man half dead on a road somewhere. And along came you. And you scooped us up, you picked us up, you raised us out of a pit and brought us to new life. And you've been mending our wounds ever since. But more than mending wounds, Lord, you are making us something new. So give us a desire in our heart to love people, to see people the way that you saw us. That we might love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all of our strength. And truly love our neighbor as ourselves. Amen.